I kind of like that introduction. I think it's appropriate as a superhero myself that we, we would do it that way. We are in the last week of our series on prayer, the superpower of prayer. And um, it's, it's been a great study for me personally. I, and I, I hear it sounds like it's been helpful to you as well. Before we jump into that, just a couple of things. I know Chaz mentioned some. Ah, oh, there's my chair. Thank you, Dave. And you can get your ugly Dodgers thing over there, okay? They got swept, Dave. They got swept. Come on now. That's true. That's true. That's true. Pardon me for a moment while I pray warts and boils on his body. Um, don't put that past me. No, anyways. Um, so, where was I? Yes, Chaz mentioned that, and I just drove back last night from, with a bunch of guys on men's retreat, and uh, it, it really was a, it was a great time, and, and I hope and pray that last night continue to be a great time, and this morning as well. Uh, you'll, your ladies in particular, what I hope you get back from your husbands is uh, far more than the pulled muscles and the pains that they're going to have from playing four hours of volleyball. That was a crazy thing going on there, uh, but it was, it was something really, um, really wonderful, and I'm... Um, was thankful to be a, be a part of it. It was neat to see the guys kind of break down and, and just really connect with each other. So that was super cool. Uh, one other thing before I pray and ask for God's blessing on what we're about to go into. Just another reminder, hopefully this isn't news to you. We're going to keep talking about it until the first Sunday of January uh, in the new year. And that is that we'll be going to three services. And, and we're doing that. We're making room for people, which is a wonderful challenge to have. And we're just hoping that you come along with us because we really, especially the families, we've got so many kids and f- families coming that we need to make some room in there. So we will be starting on January 7th, I believe it's the first Sunday, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30. So uh, we, as we've said to the nine o'clock people and particularly the families, we need some of you coming to 8, 30, okay? And I, uh, I said, it's funny, I, I said last week when we had two services, I said to the 1045 service, I, I told them, I said, I said to the 9 o'clock service that they got to go to 830, and they're like, ha, 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 They laughed. And then I said, and I need some of you to go to 1130. You couldn't hear a pen, you could hear a pen drop, quiet as could be. <laughs> and I said, hey, so funny, is it, you know? Um, so it's going to be a sacrifice for all of us, and it should be. The, the starting of this church and its existence has had in its DNA from the get-go, sacrifice. Because Jesus invited us to sacrifice. He said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's what we're continuing to do. So with that in mind, would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for this morning. We continue to pray, Lord, your blessing over the men and all who are participating in the men's retreat for the, for the worship, for the teaching, for the fellowship, and for their safe return. God, we ask your blessing over this time of teaching. I pray you'd speak through me. I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. May you speak through me and into me, uh, Lord, in a way that would shape us into the likeness of your son so that we can glorify and honor you in every way. Lord, I also say a special prayer for those who are here and who would be watching live stream that do not know you. Um, God, I pray that they would come to bump into, if not completely fall into the reality that you love them in ways they cannot even begin to understand and what you've done for them in Christ and that they would turn and find everything they've been looking for in life and in this world and even maybe in themselves can only be found in you. May that reality come to fruition today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm gonna go to the verse that started it all. 
Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This was God speaking, and he says, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's how we started. And we looked at that, and we said, man, that's amazing if it really that happens. I mean, that's kind of superpower prayer. If we can talk to our creator, and if he'll listen to us and respond, I mean, is there a greater power than that? There isn't. And we talked about the who and the what that activates this power. And and God's very clear. He says, my people. If you're not God's people, and today what that means is if you're not a follower of Jesus, this superpower prayer, my friends, is not within reach of you. But once you become a follower of Christ, you now have this access to God who, who, who will listen to you. And, and why? Because you're his people. So, so that's the who. We talked about the what. And he says what? He says, if you seek my face. In other words, if you're in a healthy relationship with God, if you're pursuing him, not with perfection, but with progress, then what happens? This amazing thing happens. God hears and he, and he responds. And, and that's the superpower of prayer. If you think about everything you see, in, in creation, the one who keeps your heart beating and your lungs breathing, we have access to him. He, he listens for us to talk to him. And, and through that, we, we find strength in temptation. We find peace in, in circumstances that would, you'd think would give you anything other than peace um, because of all that you're going through. And, and this is the superpower of prayer that we have. And then last week we talked about the art of praying, the A-R-R-T, the, the admiring of God, the request of him, the revealing to him, and the thanking of him. And, and so we look very practically at how we pray. Well, this morning we're gonna step into something, and I was reminded of this. We, we did a prayer survey several years ago in which we asked our church family about their prayer lives. And one of the questions I remember was asking, with what kind of regularity do people pray? And it was the, the percentage of people who pray regularly was lower than I thought. And as a pastor, it was kind of challenging to see that. And then within those who pray regularly, the question was asked how often, and the most common answer was 10 minutes a day. And it's like, man, it's hard to have superpower prayer when you're praying 10 minutes a day. It's just hard to have that. And so the question becomes, why? Why is that? What, what gets in the way of having a robust, powerful prayer life? Well, there's a number of things. But the two, I think, that probably come to mind most often, the ones that are in play most often this morning, we're, we're going to look at them. We're going to say, okay, what, what are those obstacles that get in the way of us really praying more than 10 minutes a day? And, and with power in which there's results both in us and in the world around us. And so we're going to look at what those two obstacles are. But before we do that, it's really important that we frame these obstacles appropriately. We need to understand, uh, in, in particular, two realities that are in play when you're praying and I'm praying. And for that, we're going to be skipping around a lot in, in Scripture today. So I, I hope you're ready to do that. But I want you to find, let's get to your table of contents. And where the first place we're going to go is, is in the Old Testament. It's, it's a, a passage of Scripture that when I found it as a young Christian, man, it opened up the world for me. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And you'll look in your Old Testament table of contents, you'll find the book of Isaiah. And whatever page that corresponds to, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter number 55. 
again, we're talking about what are these realities what, that, that we need to frame our prayer lives, and in particular, as we address the obstacles that we find in the way. And in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, and, and what was so helpful for me about this passage of Scripture was that um, I tend to be a linear thinker. I, I, I just, God's given me faith and I'm thankful for that, but I, I need things to make sense. I, I need some traction in my head. Now, I might not need as much traction as some of you, and I might need more traction than some of you. We all have different ways of uh, how God has wired us up. But for me, I needed some traction, some, some reasonableness to my faith. And, and I, I bumped into this verse very early on when I struggled with some things. And this is God saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and what I wanna take from that is we need to recognize that God's ways are supernatural. Which means that he's going to process your prayers and my prayers sometimes in ways we don't fully understand. But let me ask you this. Do you want to worship a God who you can fully understand? I mean, that's not real impressive. Don't you, don't you feel like, I, I need a God that I can worship that, that is supernatural, that, that does things that are, are mysterious in a way. Otherwise, I can't put a lot of hope. Why don't, why don't I just do it myself? I think we need the mystery of God to really draw us into worship, to draw us into dependence and trust in him. So that, that's one thing I think that's really important. Uh, the, the second thing, and, and um, again, you don't have to, I'm, some of these will be up on the screen, some won't, and that's just, Bob, sorry, I didn't get everything to you, but um, let me, let's, let me, let's look at John chapter 14, if you want to look at verse 13, we're talking about this, this, the second um, reality that I think really needs to shape in our understanding of prayer and in particular the obstacles and that is that God when he's interacting with us not only does he interact with our prayers supernaturally and processes them supernaturally which sometimes you know we may not understand that but but secondly God processes our prayers with two goals in mind his glory and our good and in John chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus says this about prayer. He says, whenever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So Jesus is saying, when you ask in my name, God, something, understand that God's going to respond in a way that glorifies him because that's what it's about. But then secondly, in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, let me get to Romans 8, 29. I said that it's not just about God's glory, but it is also about our good. And listen to what some of you, this might be a familiar verse to you. Paul says this. He says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. So this tells us that God interacts with our prayers with, with his glory in mind, but also with our good in mind. But do you see what our good is? He says there, so to be conformed to the image of his son. So that means every prayer you offer, every prayer I offer, God is, is listening and will respond supernaturally. In some ways you'll understand, but some ways you won't understand. And then secondly, he's going to answer those prayers such that his glory is preserved 
if not magnified in your life, but also for your good, but your good is not necessarily your good. It's God's good. And what is God's good? It's our good, which is to be conformed into the likeness of his son, which certainly impacts how our prayers might be answered, what we might be asking. We might be asking for things that are actually contrary to what God is saying. That's not going to shape you into the likeness of Christ. And so that's just kind of some overarching, a couple of realities that I think we need to understand and frame as we now launch into these obstacles. And it's important. Prayer is the lifeline to an intimate, personal relationship with God. If your prayer life is stagnant or if it is stuck, then the intimacy that you want and that God wants will be out of reach at times. And so it's so important we kind of plow through these two obstacles. And the first obstacle, let's talk about obstacle number one. And obstacle number one might be obvious, but I'm really good at stating the obvious. And that is when God doesn't answer your prayer for good things. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I can think of a bigger obstacle that when you're praying something good to God and it doesn't happen. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if that's ever happening, but because that's the human condition. I know that people in this room have offered prayers that, have, that, that want a baby badly. And they're praying, God, please bless us with a child. We'll be the best parents. And it hasn't happened yet. I know that people have offered prayers for the healing of a disease, for the reconciliation of a relationship, for the finding of a much-needed job, for the straightening out of a son or daughter that's on a crooked path. And it hasn't happened. And these are good things. And so there's this confusion. Why is this not happening? Well, let me give you some scripture. Let's, we're going to, again, fly through some scripture here. And believe it or not, the scripture I'm about to give you is not initially to relieve that tension. I'm going to ratchet it up. Why don't we do that? Why don't we get a little bit more? How is that not happening? I just like to poke the bear sometimes. Matthew chapter 7. Listen to Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 80, he says, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Skip down to verse, uh, or what, what man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, ask, seek, knock. And, and you're thinking, I'm doing that. These prayers that I'm offering up, these are good things, right? Well, let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. John says, now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. Well, okay, these things that I've been offering up for, for healing and uh, for a job that I need, I mean, God, these are good things, so because they're good, they must be in your will, right? So where are they? Ah, the last one. John chapter 15, verse 7, which piggybacks my favorite life verse, John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 7, he says, if you remain in me, meaning connected, 
and I remain and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Okay, have I ratcheted up the tension? It's like, wait a second. Okay, yes, you're, this is the struggle that I'm having. I, I'm offering up good things that seemingly are in accordance to his will. I'm connected, I'm staying connected to him, so why are the results not happening? Well, then we have to balance these teachings because the temptation is always to pull a verse out and build around it what you want. But we have to look at the full counsel of God's word. All 66 books are inspired by God for the purpose of training and teaching and correcting, encouraging and challenging. And I'm going to call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Paul says about us, For now we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. He's talking about our glorified bodies. When Jesus returns, and he's saying what we have now is we see faintly. We, we don't understand all things. And, and what we have to recognize is God is outside of time. He, he has, his vantage point is he sees the past, the present, and the future. And he knows everything that's going on simultaneously. He's omniscient. We lack that character, quality, and ability. And so because he sees things in every way possible, all scenarios, every, and we see dimly, what we have to acknowledge is that we might be asking him for something that might be good, but I'm going to, you know, I like to create new words, but his is gooder. Can I say it that way? I did, didn't I? Okay, so better. I know, I better sounds good. I like the G's. I'm just trying to keep the G's <laughs> together. So, but, but the idea is that we, we're asking for good things. But remember, God's got two things in mind, his glory and our good. And what is our good? Our good is being shaped in the likeness of Christ. So everything you're bringing to him and I'm bringing to him is being filtered through that. Which means that sometimes, and don't forget the supernatural aspect of his ways are higher than your ways, my ways are higher than that thing, okay? So it's possible that what we might be asking is potentially outside his will, outside his best for us. And that's something that we have to acknowledge is that God's knowledge makes his good the best of all possible good things. His omniscience, his knowledge makes his good the best of all possible good things that we're asking him for. That's a harsh reality, my friends. And what that creates... And what it's created for you and will, con and, and will, con will create again one day. And it, what it's created for me as well is disappointment. How do we handle when we're asking for these good things, but clearly God says, I have something that's more helpful to you, that glorifies me more and that is better for you. And, and so that, that, that's not what you're asking for. So that creates this disappointment. I remember for, this has been kind of throughout my history of pastoring a church and that is, I'm praying for these good things. I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for reconciliation. I'm praying for the children you love to find the straight path. And yet the struggle's there. And it's really, really hard. And I feel like, God, these are good things. These will glorify you. These will help the people of High Point. Why are you not responding? 
And it's difficult, just in all honesty, it's difficult to think, okay, you, you clearly have something better. And uh, I, I just can't imagine what it might be. But remember in John chapter 15, verse 7, I just read it. What, pr- what came before Jesus says, ask whatever you want? I don't know if you heard it, but he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. He's talking about connection. And what he's saying is we need to trust God's understanding of good and that's what that's one aspect of what it means to remain to stay connected is that we by faith we trust his good because he's omniscient and we're not and as we continue to trust him as we continue to stay connected to him we are able to trust his understanding of what is good over ours i mean go back to the garden do do you remember the the human condition and and the fall of of our humanity came because Adam and Eve were told that they could have everything in the garden except one tree, which whether that was a little tree or a metaphorical tree, let's just understand what the tree was symbolized if it is metaphorical. Do you remember what it was? He says you can have every tree but this tree. Do you remember what tree it was? The knowledge of what? Good and evil. God said you leave that up to me because you're not omniscient and I am. I understand what is good and what is evil. You've got to trust me with that. And what happens? Satan goes to work and begins to attack and try to undermine what God has said to Adam and Eve. And sure enough, they go, well, we want to know what's good and what's evil. And the moment that they sinned against God, uh, we have the human condition that we have currently today. And that is that we come out not understanding really what good and evil are. And in various shades, some of the things that we think are good or not. And we have to trust ourselves entirely over. And so let me ask you this question. And I found this in my own as I was just working through this. And this wasn't that long ago. We just seemed to have a rash of of some very difficult situations. And I had to, I was praying with this fervency. I I was praying with this intensity. God, I know you're gonna do this. I know you're gonna do this. There's gonna be a miracle that's gonna happen. And, And I really had to ask myself, does my intense desire for this miracle to happen, does it betray my lack of faith rather than an abundance of it? Was I trying to force, manipulate, and and kind of push God into a corner? Or was I really able to trust what he believed to be good, what he understands to be good? Was I able to do that? So that's my question to you is in, in these moments of unanswered prayer, does your response to unanswered prayer test God or do you trust him? Because unanswered prayer, my friends, is a test. When we don't get what we want, Just like Adam and Eve who wanted something that wasn't for them, our adversary, our enemy is there to encourage you, to to entice you, to tempt you to do what Adam and Eve did. And that is to set your own standard for right and wrong and what's good and what's evil and then to pursue it, believing that you have the right to do that. But we have to really ask ourselves... Is my fervent prayer, is my, is my talking and trying to convince God and trying to push him into, am I, am I testing him? Am I saying, God, I, I'm, 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 I'll fully trust you if you answer it this way. I'm almost there. But God, this is what really needs to happen. And, and, and there's just a part of me that's not gonna let go entirely until that happens. I mean, I've seen many times, you probably have as well, where people are really praying for something, a healing of some kind in their family, and it doesn't happen, and they walk away from God. It's like they gave everything except that, but God, I need that. And because you didn't do that, you must not be a good God. 
not good enough for me. And they walk away. And so that, that obstacle of unanswered prayer, my friends, it's a reality and it's a test that we must consciously be aware of. Let's talk about obstacle numero dos. I'm an international guy, so I'm throwing a little Spanish out there at you, okay? Obstacle, <laughs> bueno. Uh, the, the, the other one that I know is really well is puede ir al baño, por favor. May I go to the bathroom, please? All right, um, let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. This is Paul. He says, we have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one, that would be God, who works out everything, not some things, not most things, everything in an agreement with the decision of his will. The second obstacle, my friends, believe it or not, is God's sovereignty. You're thinking, wait, I, I know we've all had this thought probably a time or two, does prayer really help? If God is in control of everything, then why should I pray? Is it just kind of this, we're going through the motions kind of thing? I mean, what, what's going on there? And maybe, maybe, maybe you recall, I think I've read something, or maybe I've heard something. Isn't there some places in Scripture where actually some people have changed God's mind? In their talking to him, in their praying to him, they, they said something that God went, oh, you're right. Yeah, forgot about that. Let's go that way. Is there something out there? Well, your memory is not forsaking you or de deceiving you. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 32. This is Moses. We're, we're like in, we're big time here. In Moses chapter 32, I'm going to read verses 7 through 14 and listen for this amazing interaction between Moses and God. Verse 7 of chapter 32, the book of Exodus, the word, it's, it's called Exodus because God is leading the people they are exiting out of Egypt. Uh, they've been uh, freed from captivity and they're making their way back to the promised land to be the people of God. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 7, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, Moses is leading his people, that you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have borrowed, uh, bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses interceded, a.k.a. prayed, with the Lord his God. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? You brought out of the land of Egypt with the great power uh, and a strong hand. Why should the Egyptians say, he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your great anger and relent concerning this disaster plan for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by your very own, by your very self, and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised, and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. Ah, there it is. God had one thing in mind and Moses interceding changes God's mind, right? Ain't, nope, not quite. 
Numbers chapter 23, a little bit later, Numbers chapter 23, Moses writes in verse 19, God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Okay, God, which one is it? In one sense, it, it, would, it would appear that he changes his mind. He relented. In another sense, it's very clear. Moses is writing, no, not at all. Remember Isaiah 55, the mystery bucket? We, we have both in Scripture. So, so what do we do? We, in our Western mindset, we don't like tension. We, we don't like, you know, what was interesting, for a Jew, it was no problem. Mystery was not a problem at all. But since the Enlightenment, mystery, not good. We, we want to understand. Well, how do we understand this? Well, well, my friends, the best I can do for you right now is I can tell you that you've got to hold three mysteries in, in tension with each other, okay? The first is we, we have to accept that God's plans are unchanging, that's what Numbers 23 tells us. And if God is omniscient, it's not like Moses brought some new knowledge to God. Like, hey, you, you might have overlooked this. You didn't know about this. No, our God is omniscient. He knows all things. And so God, Moses didn't bring anything to God that he didn't already know. And so the, the first thing we have to understand is, is that is God's plans are unchanging. We're not bringing anything new to him when we're praying to him, okay? Secondly, is that God's plans are unfolding. And that's what we actually see happening here in verse 32. It, is that notice, while Moses is with God on the mountain, what does God tell Moses? Yo, Moses, do you know what's going on down below? No, Moses didn't know what's going on down below. He's telling Moses what's happening. He knows what's happening. Why? Because he's omniscient. And he's telling Moses what happens. Because he wants, he's putting Moses in a position that we see that Moses becomes and put, is put in that position. His heart is burdened for his people. God wants his heart to be burdened for his people. And then Moses pleads to intercede to save his people. And God wants him exactly there. And so God sovereignly unfolds his plan in such a way that he puts Moses in a place that he knew Moses was going to be, and, and, and that Moses would then ask God to relent, and God relents. And Moses appeals to God's promise and his covenant and his love for his people, and it's exactly what God wanted him to do. All within the sovereign will of God. And so God's plans are unfolding. And then thirdly, as we see clearly, is that God ordains the means and the ends of his plans using our prayers. God used the prayers of Moses that he put Moses in a position so that Moses would pray in such a way that would appeal to God's faithfulness. Why? Because it, it glorified God. It certainly brought Moses to a better understanding of God's faithfulness and, and, and the relationship that drew closer because of that. And so we need to recognize the third tension is that God ordains not just the ends, how things turn out, but the means as well because he's omniscient. And I realize that is a hard thing to do. You think without Moses praying, what happens? Now I know there are some of you, like myself, um, maybe not to the same degree as you, is that what we see here is that God is using our prayers to accomplish his ends, uh, which makes our prayers very important. 
Very important. So don't ever think, why am I praying? This doesn't seem to make sense. God is certainly using our prayers. But, but a lot of questions come from this. Uh, like one of the questions might be, if Moses had failed to intercede, would God have smited his people? And that would have been his will anyways. And, and, and if that were the case, if you happen to not pray for something, would that then mean for whatever you're praying for that it doesn't happen and that was God's will? Would God have gotten someone else to pray? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that come out of this. And, and what we have to be really careful about is that the scripture does not give us answers to that. Why? Because those are not the important questions to be asking. We have to defer again to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And we have to put those kinds of questions into the bucket. Because what we have to be mindful of and what scripture does tell us is that two goals are in play when we pray. And that is that God's glorified and our good happens. The people of God. That's what God wants us focused on. Not all the intellectual tangents. But, and I understand that because I'm drawn to them too. And it's just, that's why I told you that Isaiah 55, 8, 9 was liberating to me. I just had to say, okay, God, do I really want a God that I can fully understand? No, I don't. Because I would not be that impressed. I would not surrender my life entirely to a God like that. I don't think you would either. So, so out of this, may I say, Pray. I mean, think about it. Jesus prayed. I mean, if we think we're being fooled, well, he got fooled because he would pull away and he would pray. And I want to close with reminding you of one prayer that blows my mind in the Luke, book of Luke, Luke 22, if you want to go there. Let, let's look at a prayer of Christ. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 and 42. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is, he is moments away from what he knows and what he has always known was the reason for which he came. It wasn't to model a Christ-like life so that everyone would have an idea what that looks like and they would go out and set out to do the best they could. It wasn't to teach profound truth that would unlock in people's hearts and minds understanding so they would then do what they needed to do. It wasn't do that. It wasn't for that. Jesus came to die. And he prays right before, and he knows this. I mean, this is gut-wrenching. It says, then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He speaks of cup metaphorically of death, which is why when, when he, when, during communion, it says he took the cup. Jesus came to die, a substitutionary death for you and for me because our death doesn't matter to God. We deserve to die, the Bible tells us, because we've sinned, we're broken. That's the human condition, and there's no way out of that. And God knew that, and so he sends Jesus to live a perfect life in your place and my place. So the life you're trying to find, that I was trying to find, and we're looking for it in all kinds of different ways in the world, you're not going to find it. It's only in Jesus and putting your faith and trust in him. And Jesus prays this prayer, and I've said this before, if there ever was anyone whose life would stir in God a change of plans, it would be Christ. But he doesn't. The father says to him, because he looks at you and he looks at me, he says, no, no. 
This is how it has to go down. And Jesus walks to the cross. My friends, the greatest unanswered prayer ultimately met our greatest need. And that's what we have to remember. When, we're, when our prayers are not being answered, we've got to understand there's a, there's a, a, a God who's omniscient. And he's, he's got a plan, and it's bigger than anything you can understand or I can understand. And he's using everything, even the nose. He's using everything for his glory and your good. May we never, ever forget that. And may our prayers always be, not my will, God, but yours be done. So my challenge for you this week, and really was, was what comes at the end of this prayer series, is Pray. Pray. Pray by yourself. Pray with someone else. Pray out loud. Pray constantly. But pray. It's a superpower that God has given his people to live in a broken world. Okay? I want to give some time for us to pray. And I'm going to open up. You want, I'm going to be down here. If you want me to pray for you, I would, it would be my privilege and honor to do that. If you want to come down here and just get out of that seat and just come, this, that's just, you're just that kind of person that says, God, I just want you to know, man, I, I'm serious about this. I, I just want to pray. If you're more comfortable, sit in your seat. Well, then sit in your seat. But we're going to pray because it's a superpower that God has given us. So let's take some time to do that. Again, I invite you to come down here. I'll stand down here, or you can stay in your seat, and you can pray.